I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, I throw it back to our very first episode and talk a little bit more about anxiety. Alright guys, I can't take this. I'm super upset. Someone found a way to hack into my computer and steal some software. It's gone. They have it. I don't know what happened to it. So I just want to say, before I say anything else, to whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. And there you go, everyone. Welcome to episode 73. Good to be with you uh, today. And it's, yeah, I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about today. But that being said, let's get right into Peak Pit and Plug. Before we do that, a reminder, um, thank you so much for supporting this podcast. If you haven't rate, given us a rating or review, uh, please do that. And please make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mana Food for Thought, all spelled out. And you can find all of our content on manafoodforthought.com, as well as how to support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. The highest compliment you can pay us is to share these episodes with a friend or family member or to highlight it on social media. So we're so grateful for your ongoing support. Uh, And so that is always a peak to see people supporting that. But a specific peak, I have two. Today, the day I'm recording, is my daughter Hannah's second birthday. So instead of celebrating with her, I'm recording this episode. No, I'm just kidding. She's asleep. It is nap time. So I'm uh, fitting this in where I can in the week. But um, yeah, she's just growing up into such a wonderful, um, you know, beautiful young woman. Um, Well, that was a weird sentence. She's not even a young woman, but she's just, she's so amazing. You know, um, I, she said, (laughs) here's a sentence she said today. She got this little doll that's of uh, St. Maximilian Colby. And she, as a two-year-old girl, uh, said this today. I love you, Maximilian Colby. Lay down. And she laid him in her little princess castle thing that she got as a gift today. And so uh, I don't know many two-year-olds who can say that sentence, let alone who know who Maximilian Colby is. And she's obsessed with him and a couple other saints. So um, I'm just enjoying seeing her grow up in the faith. And that's really um, a beautiful thing to see. So, um, yeah, and another peak, um, which kind of has to do with what we'll be talking about today is I said in my last episode that, um, I was dealing with some physical, um, you know, uh, pain health type of stuff, um, got the all clear from my physical and all my labs and tests and things like that. And so praise the Lord for that. Um, just a little elevated on my cholesterol, but nothing, some dietary changes can't fix. So, um, yeah, thank you for your prayers. Um, and that is all good. Um, my pit is uh, a little bit of what we're going to be talking about is, um, anxiety. You know, I I came down to the fact that I had an anxiety attack and then a couple after that. And so that has been really, uh, interesting thing to grapple with. So we're going to talk about that, but another pit uh, that I've been seeing or just experiencing the effect of is just this very, um, again, I think I mentioned this last time, very divisive language from people in the church, Now, it's not like I expect it from people outside of the church because I try and see the best intention in what everyone says and try and 
believe and look for the fact that nobody really, in my opinion, gets up in the morning and just wants to do evil. I think deep down they think it's the right thing for them to do, uh, whatever they choose to do. Not saying evil is right, but I'm or their decisions are right, but I'm saying like there's always a good intention, you know, 99% of the time, I think. But as Christians, I think we're refusing to see that dignity, that goodness, that presence of Jesus in people, and we're just using this very divisive language. And so I see it a lot in, I don't know if you've heard this language being used, but, you know, people being very upset that like, oh, uh, attending church is high risk, but there's no mention of going in and participating in a protest. And this is an obvious blatant attack on the church. And maybe you've thought that, maybe you believe that. And so I just want to shoot a little logic your way. Um, first of all, it's not an attack on the church in the sense that like, you're not being murdered for being Catholic. Like this is really like low-key inconvenience at best when it comes to church persecution and religious persecution, but also the logical fact that when they made these assessments, they're not just talking about Catholic churches or even churches that are um, issuing regulations. They're talking about the average church attendance in America across all denominations. So they're saying if you go into a 500-plus worship space, that is a high-risk situation because you're in an enclosed space. Now, you may say, what about protests? Well, you're outside. And being outside means the air is being circulated differently, the sun can kill this virus, things like that. So I know I'm not an epidemiologist, I know I'm not an expert on these things, but I just want to offer a different point of view. Maybe we are being religiously attacked, but I don't really experience that. Um, I think if... if I, I can kind of give them as much power as I choose to. Same thing with the evil one. I can give him as much power over me in my life as I choose to, or I can choose to take everything in stride and know that Jesus is always victorious in the end. And so I just want to encourage you to really uh, think about the language you see and use and read when it comes to the things going on, because I think it's 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 going to come back to bite a lot of Christians and churches and ourselves included about how we acted and how we treated others during this time. And so I think it's something we can be really conscious of. But anyway, that's kind of an aside. Um, so that has been kind of my pit, um, seeing a lot of that divisive language being used and, and not just that particular issue, um, but that was just an example that I had on, on the front of my mind. And then my plug, I think I mentioned this also before, but I finished now the uh, C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy. Uh, so if you've never read that, the first book is called Out of the Silent Planet. And uh, I found out in the midst of this that this is the favorite, his favorite work that he ever wrote. And it is, I've never heard it really mentioned before until my wife told me it existed like a month ago. So, um, Highly encourage you to read it. Um, Out of the Silent Planet uh, is the first one. Second one, I think, is called uh, Paralandra. And the third, I think, is That Hideous Strength or Out of That Hideous... Something like that. But you'll be able to find it um, pretty easily with some Googling. So um, very, very cool, easy-to-read series. Um, a little bit like Chronicles of Narnia. But remember, those are children's stories written in kind of a fantasy allegory. Um, this is sci-fi, and it's more philosophical theological language because it's set at a time when people really were talking about that a lot and um in an environment where that is really you know like the type of conversation so anyway i don't want to spoil anything but it's very good highly recommend it and it's just a, a really cool story anyway all that being said, I wanted to share with you a little bit about what's been going on, um, update on me. But first, I want to give you an update on Jenna. I talked to her today, 
and um, she's doing well, and she wanted to say hello, wanted to let you know um, that she's very thankful for all of your prayers for her and her family, and especially for their son Jude, who has been uh, going through a series of treatments and preparations for surgeries. He's already had one surgery, and he needs to have at least one more um, for some digestive issues that he was born with, and so if you can just continue to pray for them. Um, she's also balancing going back to school uh, online to become a nurse and uh, balancing a, um, a business that she started with Rodan and Fields on her own at home and so and also balancing two kids and her husband working at home and so there's a lot going on so she's by no means checked out or um, um, I know she definitely misses being here with all of you and so um, she has a setup now at their place because Tony her husband has a podcast as well um, go follow Space But Mess here it's an excellent space podcast um, and so she has the means to record some stuff. So uh, I talked to her today and she said she's going to try and do that sometime soon. So you'll be hearing from Jenna again. Don't worry. If you're sick of me, you will have some relief before you know it. But that being said, there's an update on Jenna. Update on me and everything that was going on. So when I recorded the last episode, I was about to go in to the doctor because the night before I had had some kind of um, attack or um, response in my body that made me have a really elevated heart rate and didn't know if something was going on. And if you know me um, and the journey I've been on with health and fitness and nutrition over the past year or so that I lost 70 pounds um, in the past year and a half, kept it off and have made a lot of different lifestyle and dietary changes, but I haven't had a physical in that time and I was supposed to have one a few months ago, but it got delayed because of coronavirus. And so in the back of my mind has been this lingering, is everything okay? Did I make the right decisions and shifts in my health? Is it having any adverse excuse me, any adverse effects on my body or my life. And, you know, um, having another kid, having those thoughts again, like I want to be around for the long haul to raise my kids, which is what inspired me to lose the weight in the first place when I was getting really unhealthy and had really elevated cholesterol and thinking about Hannah and wanting to be around for her. Um, that really made me take control of that. Um, and so that's really what kind of sparked this, This what ended up being a, an anxiety attack. It was the first ever anxiety attack I had. I went in that day, I had an EKG, I had an exam, had a bunch of labs. They all came back clear. They gave me some um, medication for anxiety. I've never had an anxiety attack or struggled with anxiety before in my life. Um, and since then, I've had probably maybe two or three other ones, um, smaller uh, and a couple of them had to use that medication. A couple other ones was able to kind of talk myself down. And especially then the following week I went in for my actual physical, all the rest of that came back completely clear and, um, have all the medications I'm supposed to be on and all of that, like everything is squared away. So now there's some peace of mind in knowing like, okay, I don't have to wonder and worry. Um, and then there's another, um, you know, uh, exam that they're going to allow me to do just to make sure um, there's not other things going on in an um, area of my abdomen where I was experiencing some persistent pain. And so all of that has been kind of scheduled and settled and, and uh, it's kind of brought me a lot of peace of mind. But in the midst of all of that, I was just so overcome with this anxiety. And it was just really interesting for me. Um, you know, I've never had necessarily the stigma of like anxiety being bad, I just, it was never something I particularly struggled with because I was very used to in my life just thinking, okay, what can I control and what can I not control? And then the things I can't control, like I trust that God has it. 
And that's kind of easier to do when you're single and you're not like responsible for other humans or thinking about all that you have to lose. Not that single people have nothing to lose, but I think comparatively when I was single, I had far less to lose when I was single than I do now. You know, I have a wife and children and a home and, you know, this life we've built and thinking about leaving them and having to manage all of that and things being out of order and them having to deal with all of that, plus not having me around and and just everything just started creeping into my mind. And I don't know if you're triggered to think like this or or, um, if anxiety is something you struggle with. But in talking to the doctors and going through this experience and, and hearing from them how many people have come in with this type of thing, it made me realize like by the end of this whole pandemic, by the end of 2020, by the end of all the, the things that are um, yet to be unseen consequences of this whole experience, I don't think there's a soul alive that will have not experienced some form of anxiety as a result of this. And it really just inspired me to think about what that means for my own life and how maybe I can speak into that reality in your life. And you may not think you struggle with anxiety. You may just call it something like worry or doubt or, you know, nervousness. Um, And I think we sometimes think because of our very psychoanalytical culture that we have to put a name and a diagnosis on everything. And maybe you're, you know, very against that, which I get. I've, you know, I definitely feel that same way. But I also think it's okay to acknowledge like, I definitely had a moment or experience of anxiety, you know, like I, I'm not, wasn't in control of that, or I had this response to something that was very fearful or very triggering or whatever it may be. And so, um, I don't want to get into, um, you know, all of the different facets of anxiety and why we have it and things like that, because I went back and I listened to our first episode and I would encourage you to do the same. Um, you know, we're episode 73. We had a couple half episodes in there. So we've been basically about 75 episodes. I've been doing this for almost three years. And I went back and to tell you the truth, you know, our first episode, I was expecting it to be not super great, you know, because we were starting out, but I listened to it and I was like, wow, I learned a couple things again or like reheard things. It was like, yeah, I, it's good to hear that again in that way. Now being in this present situation, I'm in dealing with anxiety myself. And so I preface this and 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 that recommendation with the same preface that is in that episode that I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have very much experience with this issue personally, though I have counseled many people who have and have read a lot about it, but that doesn't make me by any means an expert. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It's only 30 minutes and it talks about all the different ways we have anxiety, you know, what uh, we have anxiety, we categorize it anxiety about things from the past, anxiety about things in the present moment, anxiety about things in the future and anxiety from mental illness, which could be a compulsory developing, you know, um, thing that we no longer have control over because we're obsessing about something past, present or future. Um, And so those seem to be the sources of all of our anxiety, you know, anxiety about the past, like there's this thing that happened that I can't change, or this sin that was committed, or this abuse that I went through, or it's hard for me to trust because of this or that. And so anxiety is all around our idea of worth or relationships or this idea of having any hope for the future. Maybe you have anxiety in the present moment a lot. Maybe you're not really good at conflict or social situations or uh, dealing with stress or time management or whatever it may be. And so that's a triggering thing for you. Uh, Or maybe you worry a lot about the future, which was where my anxiety kind of came in, was about thinking about all these things that have yet to be determined that I have no knowledge or control over. Um, 
or maybe those things have become compulsory to the point um, that it's become a diagnosable condition. You know, you're really struggling with, you know, a mental illness of anxiety, um, perpetual, you know, um, consistent anxiety, a disorder. Um, and that's okay. Like, I think like everyone, like I said, is going to have some, you know, semblance of experience of anxiety after all of this. And it doesn't make any of us less than it makes us human, you know, like it's, I think we're finally going to see that we all get that we don't have to be perfect or put on a show anymore. And maybe these walls that we've built of perfection around us because of social media and constantly comparing ourselves to each other, maybe they'll start to crumble, uh, which I think will not be a bad thing. But all of that being said, it really got me thinking in driving to and from these doctor's appointments and listening to that episode and thinking about my life and my future and why I was never anxious before, but I am now. And really had me asking these questions like, why why am I anxious? How did that suddenly get triggered in my life? And I was thinking about... Um, the spiritual reality that has to be at play behind it, you know, um, because there's some element of, you know, here's what it comes down to. I'm just going to say this blanket statement and, you know, it's, it's obviously not going to apply to every situation, but I think generally speaking, every form of anxiety, past, present, future, or if it manifests perpetually into a compulsion that your body has on its own in the form of a mental illness or a disorder, all of it comes from the fact that at one moment or a series of moments, you and I had to acknowledge the fact, whether we did so consciously or unconsciously, that we don't trust God. That we don't trust God. Or that we don't trust fill in the blank maybe if you're not a particularly religious person, but we don't trust that, that things are going to work out or that the things that are beyond our control are going to work out unless they come into our control. You know, if you want to secularize that statement. But I think the spiritual reality behind that is that there's some sort of desire for control. There's a fear or maybe a pride or selfishness that like I can only trust that things are okay when I have my hand on them. Because I know best for my life once I get, you know, if you find, um, I I feel this way sometimes and you may be this way yourself. Are If you're a perpetual researcher or planner, like you need to know everything about a given topic or choice before you make a decision. This idea of control and trust might be hard for you. Because maybe you've developed that pattern of behavior, that habit of researching and learning everything you can not just to make a responsible decision, but because the faith aspect of that, the taking the leap or taking a risk is too, too difficult. And so we try and explain our way to a point where that leap of faith is really just like a little step. And sometimes that can take forever. Um, we can research and research and hash out and hash out, but eventually you got to take a risk. You got to make a decision. And so I was thinking about this, the fact that, you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly that somewhere deep down, um, there's a part of us, uh, every single one of us, that doesn't trust God. Because none of us trust God perfectly. In fact, the only people who did trust God perfectly and completely were Jesus and Mary. However, even in the midst of that trust, we can see in Scripture that they both wrestled with the trust. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Hail, favored one, what does it say? Mary was greatly troubled at this uh, thing that Gabriel said to her. And then he says that she will be with child. And she says, how can this be? 
You know, she's questioning, she's wrestling with it. It doesn't mean that she is doubting, but it doesn't mean that like trust is blind or that it is without our human emotion. And even Jesus being fully God was also fully human. And in the garden of Gethsemane in the gospel of Luke, when he is waiting and knowing that he is going to suffer in the way that he will on the cross, he begins sweating blood because he's so stressed. And he says, "Um, father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But if not, then let your will be done. He even wrestled with the fact that he knew, he knew what God wanted. He knew what he needed to do. But there was that part of him that was hoping, like, even if there's a sliver that this doesn't need to happen, then come on, like, let it be. But I trust you, but your will be done. And so even though they are the only two people that ever perfectly trusted God, they still wrestled. So we have permission to wrestle and we have permission to acknowledge the fact that maybe we don't trust God all the time. Maybe, maybe we're not as perfectly Christian as we put on, um, put on a show of when we're at mass or when we talk about our faith and when we're at Bible studies and, you know, when we use all of the appropriate language, like praise the Lord and, you know, try and be as gracious and humble as possible, but we've learned the lingo. But when we look inward, really at that part of our heart that's really vulnerable and wounded because of sin and selfishness, when we look there to the things that we cling to and refuse to let go of, those are the hardest places for us to trust. And so what I kind of want to offer you is maybe not a solution, but an ability to really think about the fact that like you, you're not alone in your anxiety. You're not alone in your distrust of God and that it's okay to acknowledge that you have further to go because you're never going to trust God completely until you're with him in heaven and you've been revealed all of that. You have the assurance of knowing like, wow, okay, I get it. You, we can always trust God more. The question is, are we allowing that gap of trust or distrust to remain the size that it is and sit in our anxiety? Or are we trying to create a different God of ourselves and our own control because we can't trust the God that we don't see. So we make a God that we can see out of ourselves and we say, okay, I can't trust that this invisible person as real as I think he may be is going to handle this. So I'm going to do it or I'm going to explain to God in my prayer. Okay, God, this is what I need you to do. And then get really frustrated and anxious when he doesn't do it. Am I willing to let go of my control? Am I willing to admit I don't trust God as much as I should? That there is still more surrender, still more for me to let go of. And so what I invite you to do is just consider that right now. Take a moment and think about your life. Think about the things that you hope for. What are the goals that you have? What's your you know five-year plan? What's next for you? Where is life moving? What if that didn't happen? What if God took those things away? The things that you cherish, what if God allowed them to pass by or to change or to to be separated from you? You know, I'll correct the language I used. God doesn't take things away, but he allows things to be taken away. He allows certain things to happen as the result of suffering and sin in our world. But we have to remember he is always working for our greatest good. 
I think sometimes I get in these moments of anxiety and I start praying as like a, a, a therapeutic mechanism to like make myself feel better and say, okay, now that I said the words over and over and over again, and God does, if God doesn't deliver, I can blame him. I can be mad at him. If he doesn't answer my prayer right now, um, then, you know, it's on him. When in reality, like I wouldn't even need to utter the prayer if I really trusted God. Like if I just knew it in my heart and said like, said in the silence of my own heart, like God's got this. I wouldn't even need to ask. He loves that I ask. Just like I love when when Hannah gives me stuff, you know, that I don't need. She'll give me her toys. She'll hand me fake food. You know, she'll pretend she's making food for me or whatever. I love that she does that. But it's nothing that I need. In the same way, if we as God's children know that he loves us and we trust him wholeheartedly, then we would just need to utter that trust in our heart and just know like God's got this. There's no way that God could cause my suffering. And if he allows for suffering even for a moment in my life, I know it's because it is the doormat to a new step, a new period of even greater goodness in my life. And whether that is death and entering into heaven or whether that is a new chapter in life, whether that is um, stretching us and allowing us to go outside of our comfort zone for something new and beautiful to happen, I don't know. And I don't know if you're listening to this and you're on the precipice of a major decision in your life or you're feeling like everything around you is falling apart and you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. I just want to give you this assurance and know like God is right there with you. God knows you better than you know yourself. You can trust him. You can. And you may think time and time again, things have happened in your life that have proven that you can't. But I think all that proves is that God hasn't delivered in the way that you hoped or expected. But it doesn't mean God didn't deliver. It doesn't mean God didn't deliver because he is always faithful. If you ask any person who really is conscious of their relationship with God, what were the definitive moments that really drew them into deeper trust or relationship with God? I guarantee you a majority, if not all of them, would be difficult moments. You know, if you took out the big hallmark moments of anyone's life, like a marriage, a birth, um, things like that, and you just said, what, what were these definitive moments? A lot of them would probably look really tragic at the beginning. You know, a death, a miscarriage, a loss, uh, you know, being fired, um, a moment of being completely destitute or hitting rock bottom, and then all of a sudden God intervenes. And I think those are the moments we recognize God the most is because those are the moments we realize we have nothing left to lose. And all we can trust in is his goodness. The moments that are difficult are moments when we have things to be grateful for, when we're comfortable, when we have so many blessings, when I have a wife and kids and a home, when I have something to lose, something that I try and cling on to and control and make sure everything stays safe and the same. But inevitably, things will change. And I can race my entire life on this earth through moment of control to moment of control over and over and over again, trying to have the most researched and well-grasped, well-rooted idea of what my life is doing and where it's going and the idea of every possible outcome and prepare for all of that. Or I cannot stress myself to death <laughs> And trust that if I'm just faithful to the little things that God has called me to each day, 
then he will be faithful too. And it will be easier for me to recognize his faithful, faithfulness in moments where I feel out of control, when I feel afraid, when I feel like I want to rely on my own pride or my own selfishness instead of trust in someone else. This period of coronavirus and lockdown and social distancing is going to teach a lot of us about what trust looks like. And I think going to really bring out into the light how much we truly trust God or not. Ever since Lent started, I've been praying the litany of trust every single day. And every day, it, a different piece of it stands out to me. And I came across this week also a novena uh, to surrender to the will of God. And I haven't done it, I haven't looked at it, but um, just the sound of it is like, yeah, we need this right now. Just collectively, as a church, as a country, as a, as a planet, we need to recognize that in moments where we are not in control, God is. And so I just, I offer that to you. I don't know if you're struggling with anxiety, but to really ask, like, if you are, why is it that you don't trust God? And I don't, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm telling you, you know, full confession here. I don't trust him. Not as much as I should. I trust that he exists and he's there and he's been there in retrospect or in moments when I've needed him that he showed up in a way that I was expecting. But in all the other difficult in-between moments or when I look forward at the future and I try and put things in his hands, even though I really desperately want to try and control how they go, those are the moments when I realize, man, I've got a long way to go when it comes to trusting him completely. And maybe you're the same. So I would encourage you, if you are, to talk about it. You know, uh, nothing has been better in this whole experience of anxiety than just being vocal about it. Talking to people, asking them to pray for me and with me, sharing it, not having the stigma like, oh, I'm the only one. Like, no, like, this is something we're all dealing with. And if this is something you need some intercessory strength from a great um, giant of a saint, I want to recommend to you a saint that I've been saving for a rainy day and you've probably already know a ton about, and that is St. Pope John Paul II. Now, I could tell you a thousand things about his life because he was really, truly an amazing man. Um, he was born in 1920 in Poland, and I'm Polish, and I you know, have a, a, a deep uh, affinity for everything Polish and everyone Polish. Um, St. Faustina and Divine Mercy, all of that, Our Lady Czestochowa, all those different Polish devotions. My confirmation saint was a prince of Poland. Um, and so I really have um, just a profound love for that country and that heritage. Um, but what I will tell you is that um, Pope John Paul II, he was born the youngest of three children. And at a very young age, um, you know, by the time he was, um, I think, like eight years old, um, his, um, his brother, his sister, and his mother all died. And so um, he was one of three siblings. So all of his siblings and his mother died. And he was left with just his father. And um, by the time the war broke out in the 40s, um, his father ended up dying as well. And so he was left as a young adult with no family. And uh, when Germany uh, came to occupy Poland, he was um, in the seminary and the seminary closed. And so he stayed around doing odd jobs, helping other people. And there's so many amazing stories during this time of people who encountered him or different things that he did. Um, he you know, um, had one job where he would uh, get frozen feces off of toilets, you know, during this time, just to like, just to do what needed to be done. 
But eventually, when Germany fled Poland, when the um, war was over, he was able to resume his studies um, and become a priest. And he was very passionate during his priest, uh, priesthood papacy of um, ending communism in Europe and, uh, and in the world. And he made great strides in doing that. Um, but he became a priest and then a bishop, um, you know, cardinal and pope. Uh, and he had um, just a really amazing career as pope. He's a patron saint um, of youth and families in a lot of different places. Um, but he went through a lot. He had an assassination attempt on his life. Uh, and he went and visited that person in jail and forgave him. Uh, he suffered from illness um, late in life um, and was really kind of um, just taken out of, of commission for a while um, toward the end of his life. Really wasn't able to be that mobile on his own or really speak um, very clearly. Um, it was just... Um, a difficult thing to, to, to go through. And so, um, he eventually died of influenza. Um, but I'm trying to remember, um, the actual, um, disease, he had Parkinson's disease. Um, and that I know was very hard for him because he was very active. He, um, I think he got the call that he was going to be a bishop. I think he was out kayaking or something like that. Um, so he, he did all these things where he was a very active, very in line with blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. If you know anything about his story, um, and just very passionate about young people and the young church, but all these things that happened in his life. Um, and he, he was Pope for a long time and he died in, um, 2005, um, at the age of 84. And let me see if I can find how long he was Pope here. Um, I don't know, a long time. I mean, yeah, many years. So anyways, um, but he ministered through a lot of different things. And so, um, but just this idea, like his family dying, World War II, Nazis occupying Poland, seeing his homeland ravaged, and still devoting his life to the Lord. And then seeing the workings of communism and different genocides and all of these things that he fought against um, throughout his papacy, um, just seeing all of that happen um, must have been, it must have taken a lot of trust. And I don't know if particularly he struggled with anxiety in any sense, but I imagine, you know, an assassination attempt on your life and, you know, dealing with a persistent illness and feeling completely out of control and, you know, all eyes being on you and the criticism that he's received, um, you know, you can discern, I don't have opinion either way, um, not knowing enough information, but all of these things, you know, I imagine must have caused him to be very anxious or just really grapple with trust. And so I want to leave you with uh, his papal motto and then two other things that he was very frequently known to have said. His papal motto was totus tus, which is Latin for totally yours. Totally yours. Am I totally yours? Am I totally God's? My life, my plans, my family, is my will completely willing to be wrecked and conform to his? And then two things Pope John Paul II was known to say very frequently were, be not afraid and do not give up hope. And so I offer you those as encouragement during this time. Do not fear. Be not afraid. It's the most repeated phrase in all of scripture. And do not give up hope. For we have a God who loves us and who is always working for our goodness. And who else should we be totally devoted to? And yet we say totally yours to people, to spouses, to friends, to jobs, to careers, to money, to different addictions all the time. 
What if we said it to God? How differently would our how different would our life look? So, I don't know if that helps you at all. I know this maybe felt a little bit more all over the place than usual, but because I just wanted to kind of tell a little bit about what I've been going through and reflecting on. But I hope it was helpful to you, and I hope that um, it provides some reflection during this very strange and difficult time we find ourselves in as a country and as 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 a world as a church. And so, um, know that I'm praying for you. Do not worry. Do not fear. Do not give up hope. Be totally yours because you can trust the Lord. We're praying for you and we'll see you in the Eucharist. Bye.